we doing? Oh, man, that's awesome. You guys are enthusiastic. Welcome to my church. Welcome to week two of a cool uh, message series we started last week called Summer Road Trip. And uh, our pastor, Jeff Murphy, and his uh, family are on the Murphy Summer Road Trip. And, uh, and so I'm glad to be able to, to be here with you guys uh, today sharing this, uh, this message. We are going to, uh, we're going to look at, uh, at the idea of road trips. And I want to ask you a question. What are some of the things that you acquire that you, that you get and, and, and bring home with you uh, after a road trip, all right? Uh, souvenirs, right? Maybe a few pounds. Um, I believe that, and, and, and knickknacks that you will never, ever use, uh, gifts for other people that they will resent you for. Um, but, you know, that's how it rolls. Uh, I think the coolest thing that we come away from road trips with is stories. Don't, I mean, don't you always end up with a cool story from road trips? Man, if we had time, we'd go around the room, and you guys could tell us some doozies. Um, and I, I just love road trip stories. So I wanted to begin by uh, sharing with you some real-life road trip fails that I stole straight up from The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. These are from his fans who tweeted in, Road trip fails. Are you ready for these? You may be able to relate to some of these. There's one on here I really hope you can't relate to. So anyway, uh, here, here's one. One of his fans tweeted in, uh, got lost on the way to Disneyland because instead of following the road signs, my dad just followed a bus with a Disneyland ad on it. <laughs> How about this? We were stuck in, traffic, in a traffic jam so long, only one side of my face got sunburnt. I look like a Batman villain, like that. This one, oh my. Uh, my dad got so fed up with our fighting that he pulled the car over and just laid down in the middle of the empty highway. <laughs> Anybody can re- dads, can you relate to being that broken? It, it happens. It, it definitely happens. I, this is the tough one. This is the tough one. We got detained at the Canadian border because they asked if we had weapons in the car, and my brother said, not really. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. And this one, I'm pretty sure I actually played this role once when I was a kid. Uh, My parents let my brother buy a harmonica at Cracker Barrel on the first leg of a week-long road trip. Oh, my Lord. That is definitely a road trip fail. The idea behind this series, though, is that uh, road trips, you know, we're kind of doing the analogy that life can be like a road trip. And I believe that some of the best stuff of life is the stories that we tell, is the story that our life tells. And so here's how we're going to do this. I am actually going to start off. We're gonna, this conversation today is about the power, and the power of a good story, how a good story could change everything. And so I'm going to start by telling you part of my story, a, a slice of my life that really uh, a story will do an overview of, of kind of like the last eight years in my life. And so how we're going to do this is uh, we're, I, I have this, this cool flip chart here, and I'm going to draw on it. It's kind of it's old school. 
It's like a teacher drawing on the chalkboard. And in just a moment, you're going to see a video. We've got a video camera that's going to be zooming in on this, and it's going to project it onto the screen. And then you can, if you're in the back and you can't quite see what I'm drawing, then you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to follow along as I draw this diagram. Now, a couple of things about the video that you need to be aware of. Number one, there's a slight little delay. So it's, uh, oh, is that, is that me? No, that's not me. Um, but anyway, there's a slight delay. So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of cheesy, but we'll call it charming. Sound good? All right. So, uh, th- so there's that. And then the other thing, and this is quite literally uh, doing, it this, doing this uh, message this way uh, if, if we're able to get it going here in a minute. But if it will literally shine a spotlight, literally, on uh, my bald spot, okay? So I'm just going to go ahead and get that over with. Everybody just take a look. Just soak it in. That is, uh, that's the way it works. Really, there's nothing you can do about this, you know? And so, but it's part of my story, I suppose, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, I'm going to start, um, and, and the video will come up here in just a minute. This part of my story starts in the year of our Lord, 2009. 2009. Where were you in 2009? I was living in New York State. I was in a New York state of mind. Billy Joel song? Anybody? No? Okay, thank you. There was that you're the first person in both services that have any clue what I just sang. Um, living in New York State. At the time, I was, uh, I had been married for... 23 years. I had three children, still do, but at that time, my children were uh, in high school, uh, junior high, and elementary school. I was living in New York State because I actually was, my job, occupationally, I was a minister at a church there in New York State, and had been there for almost 15 years. And by all accounts, I was, I had a pretty happy and successful life in that field and in, in, you know, in the way we were hope, trying to build our life. However, there was a problem. Uh, I had been dealing with a problem all my adult life. And I, but, but I never told anyone fully about this problem. And it was causing, over the years, it had caused uh, kind of an erosion in me as a, as a, as a man, as a man of faith. And uh, because I, again, it was something that I kept secret that I didn't want to share with anybody. And it was that I had a, an ongoing problem with, with lust and pornography. Now, I don't say that to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And I know there are some people that think, well, that's just kind of, that's normal. Uh, that's red, red-blooded American male. You know, that's just how life is. It's a normal thing in life, and I disagree. Uh, well, I, I know it is normal, but I think it's, uh, its impact is, is beyond normal. And I think that that, that stuff, you know, that, 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 that porn stuff, and it becomes a, a regular part of your life. It messes with your mind. It messes, with, messes up the way that you view uh, life and love and relationships and, and, and sexuality and everything. And so it's, I've, I've see it's very destructive, and it was for me. And... Uh, you couple that, and I understand this is really heavy. This first step in my story is a doozy, and I'm sorry about that, but can't get, a, can't get around. It's kind of like my bald spot. It's there. We just have to deal with it. So 
um, I, uh, you know, I, I also, in addition, see, I struggle, I, I struggle with this problem all these years in secrecy and isolation. I didn't reach out to the help that was probably right there available to me the whole time. Um, so, but coupled with that is I had a real issue with uh, the secrecy in general. I mean, if there was anything in my life that I was uh, embarrassed about or ashamed of or I felt would, you know, if, if disclosure about certain things would have any adverse effect on the way people th- saw me or what people thought about me, I would usually conceal it. So it, all of that coupled together and over the decades of my adult life, it just got to the point where I was a secret-keeping, hiding kind of person. You know, I kind of made the decision of who was going to know what, and and it, it just it's exhausting. And after a few years, you don't remember who knows what. And you, you, I, I got to the point in 2009, my secrets backed me into a corner, and they were all revealed in one fell swoop, and it was just a really difficult month, month of May 2009, and uh, r- really tough, and my, my life went upside down big time. I mean, it, it, it went crazy. Um, I had uh, immediately, I just, I resigned my ministry position. We felt like that was the wise and right thing to do, and so now I had this career crisis. Uh, you guys remember what was happening to the uh, financial market in 2009? Not a good year to switch careers. And so, you know, everything went, I mean, foreclosure, lost the house. It was just a mess and began one year of uh, separation from my then uh, wife. And uh, our marriage never recovered. Our marriage never recovered. And so I was in this one year of separation that was leading in summer of 2010 to, to a divorce. And so my life, boy, this is not, it's a really tough time, really bad time. So got to work, right? So I'm not, I'm, I'm out of my work in my chosen career, and the only career I was educated and trained for. So I, I went into food service, and I started uh, managing a five guys burgers and fries, somebody, come on. You know what I mean? So it was a bad time in my life, but the free lunches were awesome. Anybody hungry for a bacon cheeseburger right now? So, Amen. I hear you in the back. So it, it you know, uh, that was going on. And, and, and one thing, if you've ever, anybody ever lived in New York State? Uh, I mean, this is the cost of living is brutal. And so we knew that we couldn't uh, stay in New York State. And so what we heard about this really cool town in Virginia, some of you might be aware of this town, it's called uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, right? Some cool things about Lynchburg is that one of the coolest things is that there's a uh, university there called Liberty University. Um, a lot of you guys are familiar with that. And what we found out is that there was a high school, a Christian high school, private Christian high school, called uh, Liberty Christian Academy. It's kind of uh, associated, affiliated with Liberty University. And we found out, and this will blow your mind, that if you, for every year, and this is back in uh, 2009 or 2010, for every year that your kid goes to high school at LCA and doesn't really just mess it up, uh, they get a one-year free ride to Liberty University. And I'm like, dude, that sounds like God wants us to move to Lynchburg. And so we, we, start, we start planning a move from New York State to Lynchburg. We miraculously get the kids in the school because sometimes it takes forever to happen, and we got them in there. It's great. And uh, so I line up five guys' jobs and other side jobs. I'm going to move to Lynchburg. We're going to move down there in 2010. And we're going to move down as a, uh, you know, as a broken family, but we're going be da- to be there as a family. 
But, you know, I started looking at the numbers. And a five guy's salary, I realized, you know what? I, I don't think this is going to work because I don't think I can live by myself and support uh, my kids the way I need to now and pay for half of this uh, Christian school education because that's pretty expensive. Worth it because you're paying for college. But the point is, I couldn't make the numbers work, and then it became apparent to me that I had a very, very tough decision to make. It ended up being the toughest decision I ever have had to make in my life. And I realized that I was going to have, I couldn't move to Lynchburg. I couldn't afford it. My parents uh, lived and still do live in Birmingham. Shout out for Birmingham, anybody? Wow, that's just so lame. That was not good at all. But anyway, Birmingham's a great place. My parents live there, and I realized the only way I can make the numbers financially work is to move to Birmingham. I moved in with my parents as a 45-year-old man. And that's not the worst part. The worst part is that my kids were living in Lynchburg, and I was living in Birmingham. But I just, and I, I, it was so a struggle with that. Like, dang, should I do this? But it was the only way to make it work. So I got to Birmingham, and I was able to get a job. This is a little outfit you may be familiar with them. They're called Chick-fil-A. We didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. But anyway, so I got on, I started managing with Chick-fil-A, and I, as you can imagine, wore out the interstate between Birmingham and Lynchburg, often visiting my kids as often as I possibly could. Um, But it was a really tough thing to be that far away from them. Um, But anyway, you know, it it just felt like, one good thing that happened, one of the many good things that happened is that when I moved there, my, my, my mom, my dad, my sisters live in Birmingham, and they ended up, man, I didn't realize how bad I needed to be around that support. And they just rallied around me, and man, I just, it, because it was such a tough time, and it was, it was just the most important thing. I, I, I don't think I could have made it without them. And got involved in a really cool church in Birmingham called Liberty Church. Not affiliated with them, but it's a cool name. And that church and my family, they became my, I I just started, it was like this healing place, you know what I'm saying? Where stuff, uh, you know, and the pain and the weirdness that we had all been through started to heal. And so that was really cool. Um, But one day at Chick-fil-A, when I was enjoying that awesome complimentary number one meal uh, as an employee, I was having lunch with another guy on the management team there. His name is Greg. And Greg and I uh, got along. I knew he was a, a believer because we had talked about things of God and stuff, and it was pretty cool. And so on this particular day, we have the conversation. The conversation of, what did you do before you worked at Chick-fil-A? So I asked Greg that, and Greg says, well, you know what? I used to be a minister. And I said, well, so did I. And he said, yeah, I, uh, I had to resign. And I said, so did I. He said, yeah, I had some personal problems that were affecting me and my family and my ministry, so that's why I resigned. And I went, so did I. And then he went there over the chicken sandwich. He went there. And he said, he said my issues and my problems were with, uh, were with sexual sin. And I, I just, and I'm like, dude, I'm sitting there, you're me. I, I mean, our stories are very, very similar. And he says, Richard, I got to introduce you to a friend of mine named Trey, T-R-A-Y, short for trailer. Interesting name, but a really cool guy. And, Trey, and Greg says, Trey's story is just like ours. 
And Trey runs a, a men's group, a ministry thing, once a week in Birmingham for guys just like us. And they call it Route 1520. And I think, huh, well, that sounds like a cool name. What does it mean? And he said it's from Luke chapter 15, verse 20, and, and it's where Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, as you may, may be familiar with, is a young man, got an advance on his inheritance, messed up his entire life, blew it, and got in all kinds of trouble. And then when he came to his senses, he says, I want to go back to my father. So the, Luke chapter 15, verse 20, says that the young man rose and went to his father. And while the father saw him, while he was a ways off, he ran and embraced him and welcomed him back in the family. And the idea between behind Trey's group and, me, and guys like me and Greg and, and Trey. And the idea is we are like the prodigal son and we have, we've been away from God and let's, let's come back towards God. Let's get on the route, Luke 15, 20, that takes us there. Pretty clever name. I thought it was really awesome. I, I, if I wasn't scared of tattoos, I'd get one that says Route 15, 20. But anyway, so I start going to Route 15, 20 every Monday night and I'm telling you, it's an absolute game changer for me. Sitting in a circle of 30 to 40 guys every week, and I'm, I'm, fine. I'm hearing guys talk about their problems like in the present tense, and they're not afraid of, how, of being judged, and, and it's like it's massively courageous in my opinion. And uh, it just helped me so much in my healing process to stop hiding so much and starting to open up. And so that was really helpful. One Monday night, I leave Chick-fil-A and go straight, to work, uh, straight from work to Route 1520, and I share with the guys when it's kind of a, anybody want to talk about what you're going through? And I share with the guys about panic attacks that I've been having. I mean, literal, wake up in the middle of the night out of a dead sleep, cold sweat, your, your heart's pumping out of your chest, and I'm just panicking about stuff. And I said, there's two things I'm worried about that's, keeping, that's driving me crazy. I think I might be having a nervous breakdown. And I was being honest. And I said, there's two things. And first, it's my, my kids. I feel like I'm a failure as a dad. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to change that. And I said, the second thing is it's all about the Benjamins. I'm not making enough money to support my kid. It's not a Chick-fil-A great outfit to work for, but in my situation, I was locked in, and I, I couldn't, I was barely surviving financially, and I shared with them, and it was embarrassing, and I didn't like it, but it was helpful. I think it was healthy for me to do. Well, that night, after the meeting, Trey comes up to me, and says to me, Richard, thanks for sharing. I know it wasn't easy. It was good for you, good for the guys. I've got a friend I want to introduce to you. And he says, you need to meet my friend who's named Cord, C-O-R-D. Now, at this point, Greg is the only guy in my story with a normal name. But Trey introduces me to Cord. Cord is a Christian headhunter. He owns a recruitment company that, that hires guys for comp- corporations. And they were, they were, at the time, hiring for an outfit uh, oil, quick oil change outfit called Express Oil Change. You guys heard of Express Oil Change? It's a, it's a great place. I, 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 Cord got me a job with these guys, cause they, and I said, I don't know nothing about changing no oil. And he said, well, that's not what it's about. It's about just training leaders and managers. And so I had a good three-plus-year run with these guys. But back there in 2000, it was 2013 by this time, Cord got me in the management training program, and they had told me, they said, Richard, in six to nine, maybe 12 months, if you get through this program, you might be an assistant manager somewhere. And I'm like, why not? Let's do it. And so I got in the program, and it started working really well, and I was accelerating through the program. 
And in a few months, they called me and they said, EOC said, we got an assistant manager position in a little town called Columbus, Georgia. Would you be interested? And I said, sure, I'm there. Come on, let's do it. So I, I go, I move from Birmingham to Columbus in 2013. All right, in January 2013, right before leaving Birmingham, I go to Trey and say, hey, Trey, I'm moving to, uh, to Columbus, and thank you for all you've done in this ministry. My prayer is that one day maybe we could bring Route 1520 down to Columbus. He said, hey, man, pray about it. You never know. God might be up to something. Then I call Cord, and I say, Cord, thanks for getting me this job. They're moving me to Columbus. We rejoice about that for, you know, it's your high five, air high five each other. And then I say, I've got to find a church because i got, I got to get a good church in, in Columbus. And he said, you know what? I don't know the name of the church, but there's a guy you got to meet. And his name is Jeff Murphy. All right, so at this point, then I go online and I go, it's called My Church. The website was cool. I think I'm going to go to that church. And I could start seeing uh, already that something was up here, you know, that like maybe something was falling into place. So I kind of already decided before I even moved to Columbus that this is the church for me. Walk in the first Sunday, boom, man, it was like, and some of you guys felt this way about this or other churches, and it was like, you just know this is your place, and so that's how I felt, and so I meet Jeff that first uh, Sunday, and then I meet some of the other pastors. I tell them a little bit about my story, just the broad strokes, so they know kind of where I'm coming from, what the deal was with my kids in Lynchburg and this and that, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I graduated from Liberty University. I met my wife, Christy, there, and I'm like, dude, I like that, that connection, you know, so it was really, it was awesome, all right? So that's January 2013. Now, in February, the very next month, I make my annual pilgrimage to Lynchburg for Super Bowl weekend because it is my tradition to watch the Super Bowl every year with my kids. Man has to have his priorities, am I right? So we go up there, have a great weekend. Uh, the uh, Niners, no, the Ravens beat the Niners, lights went out in the Superdome. You remember that Super Bowl? But anyway, it was a fine time. And on the way back, day after the Super Bowl, 2014 now, uh, I'm sorry, 2013, I'm driving home, and it occurs to me, you know, I really, I miss, it's only been a few weeks, but I miss my Route 1520. And I'm like, Lord, just, I, I start praying. And I say, I said, Lord, sh- Open the door. Show me the right time to go to Jeff and tell him about Route 1520, how awesome it is, and see if we might can't start a Route 1520 group. But I didn't want to be that guy. You know that guy that goes up to a pastor and says, I've been at your church three weeks. Let me start a group. That's lame. I don't want to be that guy. So I said, but so, Lord, you just, I'm going to make, you just going to need to work this out. All right? So that Sunday, that very next Sunday, second Sunday in February 2013, I come into the building here for church, Jeff says, Richard, come here. You're not going to believe what happened. And I'm like, talk to me. And he said, I'm uh, Friday night or Friday during the day. I'm researching and reading articles for my sermon. And I, f- I come across these uh, bunch of different guys that write men's ministry blogs. And I come across one, and I love what the guy's saying. And it's incredible. And I like it so much, I never do this. I just, I want to call him. I'm going to do a cold call. And miraculously, he gets the guy on the phone. And they're having this great conversation about men's ministry and stuff like that. Well, at some point, 
the guy he's talking to says, tell me again where you are a pastor. I, I forgot what, what town. And Jeff says, well, I'm a pastor in Columbus, Georgia. And the guy on the other line says, you know, one of our guys just moved to Columbus, Georgia. And Jeff says, really? And the guy says, yeah. He says, this is the oil change place. And Jeff goes, are you talking about Richard? And Trey says, yes, I'm talking about Richard. Did we just become best friends? And so, so miraculously... Jeff and Trey start talking, and Trey's telling him all about Route 1520. All I did was pray the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> that Sunday, or that Friday, God's like, yeah, I got this worked out. And by a miraculous scheduling thing, on the, on the weekend in March that Jeff had scheduled for a marriage conference here at my church, Trey happens to be available. So what I'm telling you is that by by the middle of March 2013, Trey and his wife are standing right here doing a marriage conference at my church and preaching that Sunday morning. And in April, we start Route 1520 Columbus, and we've been holding that group for four-plus years. And God has used it to change the lives of a lot of guys and their families. You can't make that stuff up, right? How does that even happen? That's a God thing. The story, and here's the, here's the beautiful thing. There's a verse in the scripture that says, that calls Jesus the author of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith. The hand of God is constantly writing our stories. And so here's what I'm hoping today. I'm hoping that we could wrap our minds around the fact that God is writing our story tomorrow. Regardless of where we are and what we're going through, God is working on something that could blow our minds. The reason I love telling this story is because I believe that stuff like this happens all the time to all of us, and we just don't see it most of the time. And so I'm asking you, would you consider pushing the pause button and trying to take a look and see, is there something, is there a story, even in the weird, dark parts of my life, I might say, especially in the weird and dark parts of my life, is God working this story? Because if we'll, if we'll open our eyes to see it, it could, it could help us in a big, big way. One other little note that I'm going to tell you about this story, and then we're going to get into a really cool story from the Bible that connects to all this. One of the things that happened in early 2013, right after, actually right around the time we started Route 1520, is that one of the pastors um, uh, here at the time said, uh, Richard, you need to get in a small group. It's, it's rally day. You need to sign up for a small group. And I said, uh, listen, Brandon, um, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually leading a group. I'm kind of a big deal around here. Um, and uh, he said, no, that's not good enough. It's not about just leading a group. You need to be in a group. And I'm like, okay. So I go into, and it was this divorce recovery class, right, or divorce recovery small group. And I say, yeah, why not? I didn't really want to go, but I went. And, uh, man, it ended up being, you know, several months of a great support group and a part of my healing process. Because how many of you know that healing never really stops? It's, it's always it's an ongoing thing. So, anyway, I walk in there, and uh, 
there's a lot of cool people in there, including this really pretty uh, tall blonde named Rhonda. And, and uh, it was at the time for me and for Rhonda as well that I, I wasn't right. <laughs> you know, I wasn't ready for the dating thing. You know what I'm saying? But neither, and she wasn't ready and I wasn't ready, but I also wasn't blind. So I did notice her. So, but and I, I probably thought, you know, if I wasn't an emotional train wreck, I might ask that woman out. But um, anyway, a couple of years later, Lord brought us back together. We started dating, and uh, next weekend, we celebrate one year, uh, our one-year wedding anniversary. So, so that's a pretty cool story, right? All right. So you never know. Now, if I was a shameless plug guy, I would say, you need to get in a small group because you never know. Um, but that would be wrong of me to do, and I will not do it. So what I want to do is I want to tell you a story from Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of verses, and then we're going to talk about how this worked and how sometimes God can work in our story, okay? Now, this is a story about John the Baptist. Now, if you're new to Bible study, you might not be familiar with who that guy is. He was a big deal character in the New Testament. He was actually the second cousin of Jesus Christ, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, his mom and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were first cousins. So John and Jesus, born around the same time, so they were tracking kind of almost the same age as they grew up, and they were second cousins. And John, as he grew up, he had this calling. God had chosen him to be a, a, a prophet, a holy man, a preacher. And he went around in his adult life preaching to, to people in the nation of Israel. And he, John the Baptist, like many people in the, in the nation at that time, believed from the ancient prophecies that God was going to send a Messiah, a chosen one that was going to set his people free. And so John believed this. And he also went around preaching and saying, repent, come back to God. Reconnect with God. That was kind of his ministry. And he would baptize people in the Jordan River, which is why he was called John the Thank you. You guys are so smart and good looking. So John is doing his thing. He's around 30 years old. One day, having a, having a service, preaching, baptizing people, and Jesus walks up. Jesus is also 30 at the time. Jesus walks up, and John stops everything. And he says, everybody, look at him. And he says, everybody look at this guy right over here. Behold, he's the Lamb of God. And he's going to take away the sins of the world. John literally was Jesus' first official public follower. He said, he's the guy that we've been waiting for, that has been promised in the ancient prophecies, he's our man. And they had this great and powerful uh, worship service, and, and, and John baptized Jesus. It was, it was a big deal. So fast forward a year or so later, from that day that I just described, John went on doing his thing, preaching, asking, just calling people to come back to God. Jesus, of course, kind of started his ministry and started doing miracles and all kind of cool stuff. But John's life took a really bad turn. He ended up in prison because his preaching was so strong that the king at the time, Herod, didn't like it and said, I'm going to shut this guy up. I'm going to arrest him. And so John is now in prison for doing what he was supposed to do and called by God to do. Now he's in prison. And while he's in prison, he starts to doubt he starts, his faith is shaken, and he says to himself, I wonder if Jesus 
is really the one or if we should keep looking for another? Is he really the one? Is he really the Messiah? Or should we keep, keep looking? So he got a couple of his loyal followers. John, John did. John said, hey, disciples, I want you to go find Jesus. I want you to ask him a question for me. And so now we're going to read that and how it went down between John's followers and Jesus and how he responded to that question. You guys ready? So it's, cha- it's Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 20. Okay? So let's read. It's going to be on the screen. It's also in your uh, worship guide. It said, uh, John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we cook? Keep looking for someone else. Now, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. All right, so let's go back to where John is. John is in this. John is more depressed than he's ever been in his life. This is a dark time for John. And now, even though he was so sure that when he saw Jesus that day and he told everybody he's the one, now he's doubting. John, who was so certain, is now doubting. Does that make him a loser? No, it makes him normal. John was doubting John's life changed big time, and, and it changed him, and it changed his thoughts and his beliefs and what he thought he knew. And so can anybody relate to John in that regard? I mean, when you, I mean, you can have stuff that you are dead, solid, certain about, and then when darkness comes into your life or something really difficult, man... All bets are off. I don't even know my name anymore. What's up? You know, it, that's how it feels. And I could relate. I can relate to John because when I, when I think back to my story, I, I think I was feeling the same thoughts that John was. Where you go, I did. This isn't how I pictured this working out. <laughs> this is not how. I, this is not what I expected this to be. This is not what I would have chosen. So something must be up. God must have changed his plan. God must not have bailed out on me. I don't understand what's going on. And that's where I was when this all started for me. And, you know, now it's a cute little drawing and diagram, right? But at the moment, all I see is black lines because it's just chaos and everything is topside down. So that's where I th- that's kind of how I can relate to John. And in this darkest moment of John's life, Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah himself decided what John needed to help him get through this dark time. And if I I would have expected Jesus to go see John and sit with him, and be with him, and touch him, and bless him, and pray for him, and maybe do a magic trick and bust him out of jail, or something like that. But you know what Jesus says to his guys? Uh, you just go 
go tell John what you saw. Go tell him what you saw. That seems cold, doesn't it? Cuz. Because <laughs> they were cousins. I thought that was cute. I was wrong. But here, what, this is your own cousin. You're not going to go see him? You're not going to go help this guy? John, I thought John would need Jesus to bust onto the scene in person and start fixing the stuff that is messed up. And instead, Jesus decided that what John really needed was for somebody to go tell him a story. I want you to go tell John what you just saw. Tell him about the blind eyes they're seeing. Tell him about the lame men that's walking. Tell him about the dead that are being raised. Tell him that the good news is being preached to everybody, including the disadvantaged. And that's what he needed. I thought he would have needed a bigger, more bodacious miracle. But Jesus felt like all he needed was a story. That tells you there's power in story. That you never, I mean, the power of a good story could change everything. Jesus believed it, and it did change everything for John. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Now, I want to just share with you a couple of things that I think happen when we hear the story. Not just a story. Not just a funny vacation story. Not just a, oh, you never believe what happened to me in high school story. I'm talking about the story. You know, like when you start looking at what God himself, the author of faith, has been writing and crafting into our story. Let me tell you what can happen when you start hearing the story. First thing is the story helps us remember. The story helps us remember. Because John had this stuff that he knew he believed, and then he stopped believing it because life changed on him. And he needed something to help him remember what he believed. I, uh, I think back to a time when, when, this, when this first year was happening. Boy, that was such a dark. I mean, shame was at an all-time high. Uh, I was becoming the guy I never wanted to become. It was a bad deal, man. And I was having lunch with a friend at a, a, a pizza joint in, in New York State. And he was trying to encourage me, and he says, he says, man, I believe God has good things for your future. And I got so mad at him for saying that. Because, and so I was holding this little red plastic cup that they use to serve drinks in all the finest pizzerias. And uh, I was so angry that if I wasn't uh, skinny and I had muscles, I think I would have crushed that in my hand. Because I was just like, how dare you? Tell me that my future is going to be good. Because in all honesty, to the core of my being, the future, I believe the future was a very dark, dark place. That's what I believed. And I felt it strong. And I think probably John the Baptist felt that same thing. Like, where is that? And I have forgotten. And there was a time when I used to believe that, that great things were possible with God for my future. But now I didn't think that applied to me anymore because of what I had done, and because of the situation that I was in. But hearing the story, and and, and along the way for me, God would always bring somebody into my life and cross my path that would tell me and would remind me of the story, and I would go, ah, I, I remember when I used to believe that. And I don't know where you are in your faith journey right now. I think maybe there's a chance that some of us came into the room today 
And, and we used to believe pretty strongly some things about faith and some things about God and some things about how he feels about us. But there might have happened, just because life changes, there might, for you, you might not believe that anymore, or at least not as strongly. And so maybe you come in here today, and you're like, maybe you're thinking, I guess I was just younger when I believed that. Or maybe that was just a phase. Or maybe that did apply to me back then, and it doesn't apply to me now. But I would just suggest that maybe God set this whole thing up just as sure as he set all this up for me, maybe today he set this whole thing up so that we could be in this conversation together and you could take a moment and remember and remember what he used to mean to you and, and what he used to, what you used to believe. And I think that if we give God a few minutes on that thought, that there's a chance we could sit here and go, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I don't have to keep looking any longer. That's the ultimate question. That's the question that John was asking. Are you the one, or do we need to keep looking? And maybe, I think that's the question we are asking today. We're looking at the faith thing, and we're like, is this the deal? Is this the thing I need? Or maybe is there something else I should be looking for? And I would propose to you, that, this, that the Lord might have brought you here today to bring you home and to bring you back to what you used to believe. And sometimes just hearing the story can help us remember. You know what else the story can do? The story can give us hope. The story will give us hope. I was, in, in, in my story, as you look at that, that diagram over there, I was out of hope. I, I didn't... I, I, I didn't believe that there could be more because I've, I just felt, this is going to sound weird, but this is how I felt. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where somebody gets stranded on a, like a deserted island or out in the water and they need to be rescued and you're, you're, you're getting emotionally invested in where is this person going to get rescued or not and so they need to be rescued, right? And then in the distance, you hear the motor of, of a plane. Oh, my gosh, there's a plane flying over somewhere. There's hope. This person might get rescued. And the, and the person on the beach, they see the plane. And so they start jumping and yelling, and they're writing letters in the sand and trying to, you know, light fires. And, and But the plane doesn't see them. And the plane goes by. Or the ship passes by, the guy floating in the water, and they don't, they don't rescue him. And I'm going to be straight with you that that's how I felt about God. I felt like I'm out here and I'm waving. And I'm like, how can you not see me here? How can you not hear me? I need saving. I need rescuing. And I don't, know, I don't deserve it. I, I probably, you know, don't deserve to be saved. But at least for my family, I mean, my kids, they don't deserve it. What, can, can you not come? God and do something about this and I'm waving and I'm feeling like that he had passed by me and recently I was telling my this story just like this to a friend and he asked me a question he said how did you get through how did you get through 
just the time before the story started to come together. Because honestly, guys, this, this covers about eight years. May, it might have been four or five years in before I even started seeing all this, right? Because I was in it, and it was hard to see everything. My friend asked me how I got through, and then I started thinking back to the daily grind of it all. And you know what this is like, do you not? If you've been through dark times in your life and and hard seasons where you didn't think it was ever going to get better, and it was a grind just to go day to day and the week in, week out, month to month, year after year, grind of it all. And I don't know how, my answer to the guys, I don't know how I got through that. And And then it hit me. It was him. It was God who got me through. And then I thought back to my times of feeling like I was waving on the beach. And I thought, you know what? He did hear me. He heard me. And he did rescue me. He saved me every day that I was able to get out of the dead gum bed and function. It was him. It wasn't me. He saved me. He rescued me. And he did the same thing for my kids and for everybody who was hurt by the problems and the issues that I brought into the relationships of my life. God rescued me. And I'm telling you, he's here to to let you know he's with you. He hasn't left you. He hasn't flown by you. He's, He's rescuing you right now. He's here to save you. He's here to help you. And he got me. He kept me breathing sometimes when I didn't know if I could. This is what, this is what the story can do. It can give us hope. It can give us hope. I want you to look at this. It can help us remember, but it can also give us hope. I want you to look at this verse from, uh, from Ephesians chapter thir- uh, 3, verse 20. And it says in the version called The Message, which is really cool, it says God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently working within us. There is hope. God can do anything. I'm telling you, If God can make something good out of this mess, there is hope for all of us. He can do anything. He is able to do way more than we can imagine. And I hope, my prayer, is that you can hear him telling you that story today. The story can help us remember. It can give us hope when there is no hope left. And the best thing about the story is that it points to Christ. The story points to Christ. It's all about Him. All about Him. Verse in your, uh, in your worship guide says in, from Colossians, he is, above, he is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And I'm telling you, if you know what it's like to feel like everything has fallen apart, it is good news that because of Christ, even the most fractured, messed up story can be held together. My story, your story, 
it tells you a lot more about the Lord than it does about me. It tells you that that there's a that that his love and his care for me never gives up. And his grace is bigger and stronger and more powerful than all of my sin. Sin is destructive. And it breaks things. And it broke me and a lot of people. But God's grace can save anything and anybody. And the fact that I'm standing right here is proof of it. The story points to a God who is so big that we don't have to be afraid of what might happen in our stories. So, as we wind up here, I propose, I'm I'm asking you for a couple of things. There's a couple of things that I'm asking you to consider here today. I'm asking you to consider your story. I'm asking you to consider the fact that um, God is writing it. And it might feel messed up, but God is writing a big story. I'm asking you to see it. Embrace it. You know what I'm saying? This is your reality. Embrace it. Look at it and say, oh my gosh, how can God make something out of this? And just watch. Just watch. He is writing a big story. Don't settle for the small story. When we settle for the small story, it sounds like this. It sounds like phrases of, uh, I am, uh, I'm so broken. I can never, I can never be right again. That's the way I felt. I'm so broken, I can't ever be right again. I'll never change. Um, it, too much has been lost. These are phrases that are associated with a small story. And when, you li- when you buy in and believe that stuff, you're going to gonna, stay in your dark place and you're just going to make it livable. What God wants to do is He wants to bring you into the light and, and, to, and show you the big story that He's writing. So I want you to, I'm asking you to consider, see what the story is and how God's hand could be traced and His handwriting has been on your life. And the second part that I'm asking you to do is consider telling your story. I don't want to freak anybody out by that. I used to think that my the life I wanted, I was going to get it and keep it and maintain it by concealing the things that were embarrassing or shameful to me. And by not letting people in to the darker stories, tar- dark, darker parts of my story. And now I'm learning that the life that I want is actually dependent on my if I'm going to have the guts to not conceal, but instead to reveal my story and to be willing to share the darker parts of my story. And I ask you to consider that idea too. There are people that need to hear your story, and nobody can tell it the way you tell it. The world needs it. There, are peop- there may be people on the road next to you that need to hear your story. That's why we try to create environments where people 
where, it's, where, where people in my church nation could, not just on Sunday mornings like this, but, but could get in a, a room somewhere or across a coffee shop table or in somebody's living room and start sharing stories and start hearing each other's story. This is what we need, and that's why Rally Day matters. That's why it's important to get in a, a, a group where you can start hearing the stories of the people around you. The last thing I'd like to ask you to do, and we're going to pray here in just a moment. Let me just address it this way. As we walked into the room this morning, we might be dealing with parts of our life that that are so distasteful to us and embarrassing and shameful and, and, and so dark and disappointing to us that... I mean, that it, it was hard to even come in here today. And maybe you came in here and you're, and you're, dealing, with, you're dealing with this stuff and maybe the question you're asking has been, I wonder if this faith thing, I wonder if the God thing, is this what I'm looking for? Is this going to help me? Is this what I need or, or should I keep looking? It's the same question John the Baptist was asking. Lord, are you the one or should I keep looking? And maybe that's how you came in today. And maybe it's because of pain that you're going through. Or maybe it's because of depression and disappointment. Maybe it has to do with you've been, you've been uh, somebody you love has been given a really, really bad report about their health or about, I don't know. But you came in with, with concern and fear and shame and worry. I want you to know you're sitting in a room full of people who are going through the same stuff. And some of us have been brought through some of those things. You're sitting in a room full of stories. And they are stories of how God took the darkest and most broken things and is starting to make sense of it. And some of us are right smack dab in the middle of the darkness. But we would love to share our story with you and talk to you and walk through it with you. I think that's why the Lord brought us here today. I think that's why we're here. So I'm going to say a prayer. If you don't mind, just bow your heads with me, and let's just have a moment with God. Father, we need you. We need your help to get through the dark parts of our story, and we need your help to make us brave, to just keep believing you, and to take a chance and to step out and share our story. God, I'm asking you to meet us here in these moments. While our heads are bowed, I want to ask you to consider something today. Maybe today is the day that you would, man, you've been thinking about this thing, about God writing your story. And maybe you're saying, hey, I don't even have a connection to God. Maybe I am just feel like I'm on the outside looking in. Well, I want to tell you something. The Lord is here for you today. And maybe today is the day you would want to kickstart your faith journey. You would want to start it today. You would want to make Jesus Christ, the leader and forgiver of your life, for the first time to just say, I want to give God a shot in my life. If that's you, if it's on your heart to open your life and ask Jesus to become the leader and forgiver, everybody's head is bowed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody call you out, but if you could just slip your hand up, I'm going to say a prayer in a minute, and I want to know that applies to you. If there's anybody here today that just says, man, I need to make Jesus the leader and forgiver of my life. Raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. 
We're going to pray here in just a minute. The Lord sees that too. Thank you. Thank you. And also, is there anyone here, and, and, and you've had a faith thing at different times in your life, but maybe you're like we were saying before where you don't really believe some things that you used to believe, and life has changed for you, but maybe you're just feeling like today's the day for you to come back home, for you to come home to the Father, to remember what you believed and that it still applies to you. If you, if you just feel like you want to reconnect today, and come back to the Father, just like the Son in that story we talked about earlier. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is us today. I feel you. I see you. The Lord sees your heart. Father, Lord, we're asking today for you to meet us right here in this room. And Father, for those of us who want to begin today, asking you to become the leader and the forgiver of our lives. Our faith journey begins now. Lord, I pray that you would meet those people right here. That you would come to them, you welcome them into the family, and that you give them the courage to take faith steps towards you. And for those of us, Lord, who want to come home, and they want to come back and remember what it is that you've done in our lives, and remember your story. Father, welcome us home. Come meet us on this road and bring us back into the family, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys mind standing with me? We've chosen to close our service with a song. And this song that uh, Jed and the band is going to play for us is a celebration of the story. It's a celebration of God's story in our life. So I'm asking you during it, open your heart, celebrate with us, Start asking God to show you his, how he's working your story and give you the courage to share. As you close, and they'll, they'll dismiss us after this song, right? And as you head out, please hit those tables and see if there might be a, a group you want to get into. But thank you for being here. Thank you for staying a little late. And let's celebrate God's story.